Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am really delighted to have a conversation with Christopher Zagorski today. Christopher is the founder and sole reviewer at the crime fiction book blog, Bolo Books. In 2018, he was awarded the Mystery Writers of America Raven Award for outstanding achievement in the mystery field outside the realm of creative writing. Christopher writes a column on digital crime fiction resources for every issue of Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine, and his blog reviews are syndicated to his column in Deadly Pleasures Mystery Magazine. He has previously served on the board of directors for Mouse Domestic, a crime fiction convention celebrating the traditional mystery. Christopher has been a member of Sisters in Crime since 2017 and was most recently the fan guest of honor at Left Coast Crime in Albuquerque, New Mexico in early 2022. Christopher, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for having this conversation with me about your role in the book world. Thanks so much for inviting me, Julie. Um, That was quite a mouthful of an introduction, but very nice. (laughs) Well, we're just touching on this part of your life, too. I mean, you've got so many other facets, um, and, you know, we both share a love of theater that we we talk about online once in a while. Um, But let's talk about crime fiction and and your work as a reviewer, because... um, Critics and reviews are so important, especially people who have uh, experience or expertise or read deeply in the genre. It's such an important role and misunderstood by so many people. Uh, and so I, I look forward to having that conversation. But let's start at the very beginning. When did you fall in love with books? I was reading from a very early age. Um, I mean, I read... I mean, I was one of those kids that was always in the bedroom reading when everybody was outside playing. I just don't know. And it's really interesting because it didn't really come from my family. Nobody in my family read. I was the only one that read. So I don't know how I discovered that world. I just found that the fictional world was more accepting of me. Even back then, um, Mm -hmm. you just feel out of place. So I could find places where I belonged in those books. So Encyclopedia Brown became a friend and the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. So I read all of those early on. And then I probably too quickly moved on to more adult reading. Um, I just recently posted about um, Mary Higgins Clark, who's Where the the Children was one of the first adult mysteries I found in the middle school library. So I was in the middle school library. So clearly they thought it was okay for that age group. But then I was reading Stephen King. And then I even moved into Jackie Collins and other stuff that probably was not appropriate for me. But it doesn't seem to have hurt (laughs) me in the long run. (laughs) So there's an eclectic uh, reading assortment and and you know one that I think a lot of us um, can you know there's a time Jackie Collins I mean all of those books are of a time certainly Mary Higgins Clark um, will have a legacy for a very long oh, time definitely. but she she's 
she's an uh, an entry point for a lot of people as far as that next yeah, that phase. Yeah, where are the children? When I read it, was the first time I actually realized that my mother could go through something like this. I mean, before you're just reading about fictional people and whatever, but then I was like, this mother is getting accused of something that she has no control over and has to prove herself not guilty. I mean, I, I was the first time I realized, hey, this is actually happening in the real world. And you read outside of the crime genre, but you, 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 you know, Bolo is about crime fiction. Right. Is that, is crime fiction your major passion? Crime fiction is my major passion. And when I started the blog, I said to myself, the only way I could possibly do it and make it uh, useful to the general public was to hone down that focus. So if I tried to read everything, and there are bloggers who will do a more general thing and review everything they read, but I find that it's harder to get your audience returning to you if you're doing various different things because they're not always interested in one thing. So if they read a review that they didn't of something they're not interested in, they might not come back the next day to see what the next review is, which may be something they like. But so I just decided right from the get-go to go with crime fiction. And then I came up with the clever name Bolo Books, which let's talk a little about that. I thought I was being really clever because I'm like, Bolo Books, people watch all the crime shows you hear, like put out a Bolo. So be on the lookout. <laughs> I thought everybody knew what that term meant. But I have talked to actual crime writers who have been in the field for years and years and years who are like, I don't understand Bolo Books. And then I explained it and they're like, oh, now I get it. So oh maybe it wasn't such a great title, but it's sticking with it now. Well, actually, it is a great title because explaining it makes you say, oh, look at that, be on the lookout, and, and it's a great acronym, and you have a wonderful logo. So folks should go, and we'll put your um, the – you know, link to your blog in the show notes, but you should, uh, you should look at the logo. Yeah, my dad is a graphic good. designer by trade and he did that, uh, that design for me. And I, I will be forever grateful about that. I mean, that people call me the eyeball guy all the time because of the eyeballs. Yeah. So, um, it certainly recognition helps. Yeah, no, it's very distinctive and that's awesome. Now let's talk about why you love crime fiction so much. When you, in your reviews, I'm sure you read, uh, you know, I know you read deeply in the genre, but you tend to be more of the, um, you know, traditional, not as cozy, uh, or not cozy, but suspense, mystery, thriller, like you'll read in that, that end of the pool, uh, a little bit more. But what, what, uh, what do you think it is about crime genre that drew you to that? Yeah, first let me address the cozy thing a little bit because I actually, cozies were my entry into it. Besides Mary Higgins Clark, I was reading a lot of cozies, and I still to this day read many. I don't cover a lot of them on the blog. Occasionally one will strike me so much that I have to cover it, but I came in knowing that Drew was already covering. Yeah cozies so and i knew the audience was out there for that and i knew there were other blogs doing cozies so i thought there was a lack of coverage of other stuff so that is why i really focused on that so it's not like that's all i read it was just how i got into there um but as far as why crime fiction? Well, like everybody, I like to see justice served at the end. And mm -hmm. even though in my darker side of it, that doesn't always happen like it does in the cozies. I mean, the one thing about a cozy you can always count on is that the bad guy will be caught. Um, not so much in the other side of the spectrum. But still, generally speaking, they're they're caught and, and justice is served in some way, whether or not it's mm -hmm. the full justice that we would like. But on my about page of the blog, I talk a little bit about an early experience I had. I don't remember how old I was, but I was probably 
eight or nine and I was at a friend's house and we were playing jacks on the floor of that, you know, in the old style houses, they had that little right at the front door, that little laminate place where you could take off your shoes or whatever before you got to the carpet. So that was the only place the ball would bounce. So we were sitting on that and there was a knock at the door and being kids of an earlier generation, we didn't think anything of opening the door. And there was a man on the porch bleeding profusely from having been stabbed and he said that his father was chasing him with a gun and the two of us that were playing ran i lived down the street or up the street i was down the street playing we ran started to run up the street to my house because we were frightened and then of course he said well my dad also has a gun so that scared us we ran back into the house because we wouldn't want to be out on the street and then the babysitter finally showed up and like corralled us away and took care of him and gave the man a phone and he called the police and whatever but i never found out what happened to that man and because when we were too young there wasn't something our parents were ever going to tell us so i think somewhere in the back of my mind i was always like i wonder what happened to that gentleman because i mean it was such a tragic story and i can still see the blood and all that stuff from that night so it's a traumatic thing at that age so i think that um even though it was fiction that i uh, latched on to it came from a real place yeah yeah and those unhealed traumas wondering you know um do you ever, did you ever yeah, think when about I got becoming my degree in a English, um, I The intention always was to write. I mean, I did, in fact, I just posted about this also on social media. People should follow me on social media because you'll hear a whole lot about my background. But I'm doing this cleanup project and I found this soap opera script. And I remember writing to the young and the restless saying, I think I might want to do this in my later life. Can you send me a page of the script so I can see what a format looks like? And they sent me an entire episodes script. And I still have that. So um, writing was always there. And even when I got out of school, I started to do some creative writing. But what I found was that because I couldn't stop reading while I was writing, when I read back to read a manuscript that I had written, it sounded like 10 different people had written it because I had been reading 10 different styles of books during the time. And that obviously wasn't going to work. But then I was like, well, there's no way I can ever give up reading because that's my love. So I decided I had to find a way to be able to read and still and then write. So I came across reviewing and I didn't even know this was like a job. Like had I known before or thought about it more deeply, I'm sure I knew, but I could have gone to school and done that and then ended up in the newspaper realm and done all that. But I just didn't think of all that. This all came after I was finishing school. So I didn't have that road, but I was like, okay, I can still do this. I know I can review a book because I mean, I've been through a whole English program. So I certainly analyzed thousands of books and written many papers on them. So I just jumped in with both feet and said, I can do this. And I also just, because I read so much, I know a history of the genre, so I can bring that to my reviews. And that seems to be what people connect with. I mean, they, they feel like they can trust me because I'm coming from a place of, uh, of honesty and with some knowledge of the past. Yeah, because being a critic and doing reviews um, is different than an opinion. It's different than a thumbs up, thumbs down. I mean, I think thumbs up, thumbs down is one of the worst things that happened to the arts (laughs) because it's not, that's not what art is. It's not thumb up, thumb down. It's, you know, and, and, and liking something is subjective. 
So, you know, but things, some things are better written, some stories are better put together, some characters are more compelling, some plots are better. Um, and that's where you need somebody with background and with nuance and experience to, to guide you as a, a potential reader to say, here's, here's what's interesting about this book. Right. You know, here's why it's worth your time. And not everybody, um, brings that right. uh, to right. A lot of reviews are, mm, you know, I didn't can't, you know, I didn't like this character. Well, that's not a review, <laughs> especially the reviews that you find on the social media platforms, like on Amazon and Goodreads and those kind of places. You're not going to find quality most of the time. I mean, there are excellent reviewers working there, um, and those people stand out because their reviews are so much better thought out and written. Most of them are, yes, read this. I liked it. It was wonderful. And that's not really helpful in the long run. And a lot of them are, frankly, synopsises of what happened in the book. And that's also, it's not a book report. It's a review. And they're two totally different concepts. And people come from right. their schooling thinking, oh, a report, I must just tell you what happened. And that's not the point. <laughs> right. No. Um, I find, I don't read my own reviews. I read other people's reviews, you know, and there's some former librarians and booksellers who do reviews and they've got the experience and the abilities to, to add that nuance. But again, it's, it's not, uh, we used to have book reviewers, um, and we still do, but many newspapers have gotten rid of them. So, so online blogs like yours are actually part of the democratization of reviewing too. There's good parts of this. But it's also, you do this work for the love of the genre and of the authors in the genre. This isn't um, a way you're making your living yeah. at all. There's no money yeah. coming in. And in fact, I would think most people would be surprised about the amount of money you spend going out. I mean, I will say one benefit is uh, I get free books. But you know what? I could get yeah. free books at the library, too, without having to right. do all this work behind it. So you're right. There's a lot of work for a lot of for no pay at all. And there's actually money. I mean, I have to pay the, the, the platform to have the blog posted and to, to all those kind of things, updating those things, and then the social media's things that I do. So yeah, it, it's it's different than a paid a paid job. Um, but it also gives me the freedom to do what I want to do. I mean, there's nobody over top of me telling me what I have to cover, when I have to be discreet. I mean, I can do whatever I want because it's my blog. And if people don't like it, they cannot come. Frank. Fortunately, people seem to love it and they keep coming back and I appreciate that. Um, I did go in saying I would not do any negative reviews. I mean, that was a, mm -hmm. a, a goal right from the get-go and I got a lot of pushback actually from authors, surprisingly, because I talked about launching the blog at BoucherCon a few years before I actually did. I mean, I built it up. So it sort of seemed like I was an overnight success, but I was building that platform before I even launched. Mm -hmm. But people were like, don't do that, Chris, because you won't be taken seriously if you're only saying good things about books. But it doesn't mean I like every book I'm reading. There are no. many books I don't like and I don't talk about them because I feel like every book has a reader out there and I am in the business of getting people to read. So if you want to pick up a book that I hated, more power to you. I hope you love it and I hope you read beyond it and, and you do find other stuff afterwards. But I'm not going to be the one to stop you from picking up whatever book you want to read. Same thing with kids. I encourage them. I mean, if you want to read comic books and graphic novels, go for it because at least you're reading and then you will move on to other stuff. I just know you will because that's I've seen it happen. So I don't encourage and discourage anyone from reading anything. Now, one of the side 
things that I never expected would happen was that because I'm so well-known in the community, people assume that because I haven't talked about a book, I didn't like it. And that's a problem because I haven't read everything and it's impossible for anybody right. to read anything. So I have right. yet to figure out how to counteract that because people will come up to me and in a, as an example, Michael Connolly, people will come up and say, Chris, you don't like Michael Connolly. You've never covered him. Well, Michael Connolly doesn't need my help. He's covered in every newspaper that's out there. And I love every one of his books. I read them as soon as they come out. They're some of the best crime fiction out there, but I feel no need to add to more coverage of him when I can use that space for somebody who's up and coming. But I said, people assume that I didn't like Michael Connelly, and I'm like, this is not good. So I, I'm still struggling with that. <laughs> well, it's part of this conversation that, you know, and, and being here and, and being at conferences and, and just talking about this, because you're right. Michael Conley doesn't need the coverage. Um, and you're also very um, uh, thoughtful about, about making sure you uplift diverse voices and marginalized voices and uh, voices that may not get the coverage or, um, you know, that are telling a story that hasn't been told before. Um, and that, I, I'm, I'm assuming knowing you a little bit and having had conversations. So that's an intentional thing you do it as is. well. It's very much intentional. My background, my English degree was a focus, had a focus on minority literature from the get-go. So I already had that background. So that came with me too, along with the crime fiction background, came a background in understanding minority literature. And in college, at the time I was going to college, that meant African-American women were included in that at the time, and they may still be, um, Native American and gay and lesbian fiction. So those are the things that I, I grew up reading or I went through school reading, and then I wanted to carry that on. And in fact, um, like I said, I was going to launch Bolo books for years. I just kept talking about it and talking about it and talking about it and getting a feeling for what people were thinking. And then it was when I read Attica Locke's The Cutting Season, which was a book that just blew me away, that I said, I have to start the blog because I want to tell people about this book. I wanted to discuss it so much with different people that I had mm -hmm. to just launch the blog. So that really, I owe a lot to Attica for that. And she has, I've told her that. And it's, um, the reason Bola books even exists is because of that. So right from the get-go, we had some um, minority literature that was covered, and that just continues on through today. I mean, I do always focus to make sure that um, that's there always. Yeah, yeah, because it matters, right? It matters. I mean, and us hearing stories told from different points of view, even even thinking of it as minority, it's it's just, it's just all different. I mean, we're in a wonderful, I feel like a golden age of crime fiction anyway, but we're also in a wonderful time where we're getting more books from LBGTQIA plus writers and from writers of color. And, uh, you know, we, I think the disabled community um, and neurodiverse community uh, needs to be uplifted a little bit more in fiction. Um, but we're, we're working on this. Um, but we also need to be intentional about the work because it could be a fad pretty easily. Yeah, we don't want it to be a fad. And we, I mean, we really have to drill into people that you can learn a lot by reading about stories that are people that are different than you. I mean, you can learn a lot about humanity and, and become empathetic by reading those stories. And it's interesting because, I mean, those of us that are in those communities as a gay man, I mean, I read romance novels and, and like Jackie Collins, although Jackie Collins had a lot of gay characters, but um 
straight romances and stuff my whole life. So the fact that straight people don't want to read about a gay couple boggles my mind because I'm like, you can learn so much even though you have no connection to that at all. I've read straight stuff. I've read, watched straight TV shows forever. I mean, that's all there was when I was growing up. Yet I still gained something from them. It weren't, wasn't like I was sitting there wasting my time. You can still pull something from that. Not all of it's going to affect your life, but some of it will. And you'll also right. just read some great stories that are outside of your realm. Right, right. And, or you're going to be entertained. I mean, there's also, you know, you can read literature that completely moves you and changes life. You can also read a book that's just, you know, like Kelly Garrett's like a sister, like a sister, yeah. which is, which is entertaining. It is, I mean, and that's exactly it. And Kelly and I have talked about that many times. I mean, it, it, every African-American black book out there doesn't need to be a, a sociopolitical no. look at what's going on in that community. Right. They live normal lives just like the rest of us. Every yeah. gay book doesn't have to be about what the struggle is like coming out. You know what? We come out and we live our lives after that. There are other stories right. to tell, and we can just tell a regular story where we just happen to be um, featured in it. So hopefully we're getting to that place. It, it, it's still a struggle, and I think um, it will be a struggle for a few more years, especially with the political arena that we are existing in. Yeah. But I think we're getting there. I mean, I do think we're better than we were, and I, I hold on to that little bit of, of hope. <laughs> Well, I do too. And again, I think that uh, part of the democratization of the publishing world is also self-pubbing and and small presses and and you know indie authors <clears throat> who have been able to to sort of get out there and carve their own niche if there wasn't one, which has sort of trailblazed for other people as well. Chris, how do you how do you keep up with your reading? Like, how do you? You know, this is just, this is the Virgo in me. How do you keep track of what you want to read, what you need to read? I mean, books, I I have so many books. I'm triple shelved. I can't even imagine what you're like. Yeah. So how do you, how do you sort of anticipate and work on the blog, you know, calendar and, you know, and just decide what you're going to, what you're going to feature? I'm a Virgo too, <laughs> so I get it. Um, and I did just go through a recent remodel of the office and did have to dispose of, I mean, over 500 books that we gave away to libraries and other locations just because I couldn't keep them all. I mean, it's just yeah. impossible to keep every book I get. I get, I would say, I don't know, 10 to 12 books a week in the mail that I didn't ask for in addition to books I did ask for. So there's a lot of books coming in and out of this house. Um, I do have a system where it's not a very good system at the moment. I mean, it just, it, it, it goes through evolutions because, you know, you just don't know how it's going to work. For a while, I was keeping a calendar and I was writing things I was committing to on the date because, you know, most books all come out on Tuesday. So I would put on a Tuesday that the book is coming out and this is what I'm going to. But then I found that I would have like five or six books on the same Tuesday because they were all books I wanted to read. And I'm like, I can't possibly keep up with that and read all five or six of those books. So that's a struggle. But now I have actually an actual library card that my husband bought for me that I put the, the new books that are coming in in the order that they're being released so that I can look at it and see. Nice. Now, of course, many of the books are ebooks. 
e-galleys that are coming through. So it's harder to keep track of them. So I always tell people when they're sending me review books that it's better for me to have a physical book because it's there screaming at me as opposed to on my Kindle. I love my Kindle. I use it. I travel. But it's just harder for me to keep track of what's on the Kindle because there's so many books there. Um, So that's kind of how I do that. And then uh, I'm very good at knowing what I'm going to like. Um, So generally speaking, if I read a synopsis, I can know pretty well whether it's anything I'm going to be interested in at all. So I can knock out a whole bunch of books that way just by reading the synopsis. I'm like, no, it just isn't going to work for me. Um, Occasionally, a publicist or an author will put forth a case that said, okay, I'll give it a try. 90% of the time I was right and it wasn't a book for me. There are the rare occasions where they were right, I should have given it a try. So, I mean, if I could read everything in the world, I would. I can't. So I have to pick and choose. Um, And I'm really careful about, because I read a lot of series, as you know, crime fiction is packed Mm -hmm. with series, and I love authors and I read all their books. But I really try on the blog to not cover every book in a series because... I want to give room for other stuff. So even though I'm reading every Anne Cleves book, I don't review everyone. When one comes along that strikes me that I really have something to say, I will cover it. Um, Louise Penny the same way. I just can't cover them every year. But I am reading them. Um, but I'd rather give that space to an up-and-coming new author. And I do love to find debut authors. I always look at debuts because I just you just never know what you're going to get. That sense of unknown is sort of a, a draw for me. I guess it's sort of the mystery thing, too. I mean, I just you just don't know what you're going to find. So I always have debuts. In fact, when I do my end-of-the-year top reads list, I don't ever call it the best books of the year because, again, they're only the best books of what I read. So I call them my top reads, and I always have a section that's just debuts because I like to separate them because it's hard for a debut to compete with the Ann Cleves and, and the Walter Mosleys of the world, whereas – a debut is still can stand out, even though it might not be quite as good. Now, some debuts are as good as those books, but not always, but they're still excellent right. books because they're learning. I mean, the idea is we hope authors grow as they write. So yeah, that's a part of the reason when people ask me, if they should start a series at the beginning, I'm always hesitant. I mean, I used to be a reader who always went back to the beginning. As soon as I found a book I liked and so I read it, then I wouldn't read that one. I'd go back and read them all, and then I'd get to that. Well, I can't do that anymore because of so much. So if I find a book that sounds good, I'll read it right then and there. And I have found that really because that book theoretically should be better than the first book because the author has Mm -hmm. grown. So maybe if you go back to the beginning and you don't love that beginning book because it was not the author's best work, they have grown, you may not get to the later books because you find that, oh, well, this isn't for me, when in fact they really got really good. You just started back at the beginning. So I'm always hesitant about saying go back to the beginning. No, that's great advice. Many times um, I've struggled with the first book because I've always been a read the first book and friends have said, no, just skip it. Go to the second or the third book. Here's where you start. If you're missing, if you don't understand something, call me and I'll explain. Yeah, and most writers are really good at keeping you up to date. I mean, it's not like, I mean, they're not going to throw anything in there, generally speaking, I mean, there are a few, but spoilers, I mean, they're not going to tell you who did the crime in book four. So if you ever want to go back to read book four, you're going to be fine. Right. I mean, it's not like you're right. going to have that. Um, 
you sure, sure, you missed some of the growth of it. But I remember Hank Philippi Ryan saying at one of the panels that she said, when you meet a new person, you don't know their whole life story at the beginning. I mean, you get to know them over time by having conversations with them. So yeah. why do I think in a fictional world, I have to walk up to somebody and know everything that happened to you in the last 10 books? I mean, like, whatever. You had a yeah. life and now you're here. And if I want to know about that, I can ask you or I can go back and read the earlier books. The always wise Hank Filthy Ryan. She always drops pearls of wisdom whenever she's on a panel and giving a talk. (laughs) Um, So you mentioned Drew in Love a little bit earlier. Um, She's going to also be a podcast guest um, because she's another book blogger who plays an important role in the uh, publishing industry. and I know that you're both going to be doing a session at the New England Crime Bank in the fall of 2022 about how authors should talk to and approach book bloggers and the do's and don'ts. I don't want to take away from that presentation, which I know is going to be genius, but if you um, can help us understand how best to have a conversation with you or Drew, um, or she'll speak for herself, but, but I, I think that sometimes people blow an opportunity by not putting their best foot forward and also by, by lacking a human connection to begin with. Absolutely. So can you, can you just can we talk about that a yeah, little bit? Yeah, and that, and that presentation we're giving at Crime Bank, it, it's an evolution of a crime of a session we've given to several Sisters in Crime chapters locally. I gave it to the to, we gave it to the Chesapeake chapter, and we gave it to another Virginia chapter, and it has evolved, so it has grown. So there's much to cover, and there always is. So I have no problem talking a little bit about it now. Um, I would say the first thing is to make sure that the blogs you're approaching are covering the books that you are writing. I can't tell you how many books I get that are a romance novel novel pitches or <laughs> I just recently got one Chris you absolutely need to read this book it's about my child and how they discovered trees or I, I don't even remember what it was all but it was a kid's book about environmentalism and and, and I was like that's great but that's not going to get a review on Bola books so know what you're pitching to and then pitch well I mean the pitches are the same as you're pitching to your agent or your editors um it's just like I need to know the basics of what the book is about. I need to know um, when it's coming out. I don't need a link to how to buy it because if you're asking me to review your book and you're not offering me a copy, it's probably not going to happen. There are plenty of books I read and review that I were not mm-hmm. was not given free. But if you've come to me and asked me for that, it's pretty polite mm-hmm. to also offer the book and not say, you can buy mm-hmm. it on Amazon, please review it. So that's not so great. Um And those are the basic core things. And then there are some things I will say um, that I think if you're going to be approaching bloggers and if you're an author in this world, you should be approaching bloggers because, as you mentioned earlier, we're losing column space in newspapers daily. Uh, So the reviews aren't there. So you really need to go out to the blogging community. And, yes, Instagram is a great platform for showing a picture of your book, and maybe it's working. I don't know. I still have reservations about whether or not that actually is doing anything. But I hear good feedback, and I don't 
to, to blame those people for trying. Um, but the, a review is a review, a picture is a picture. They're different things. So, uh, But I would say that start following the bloggers before you're pitching. I will mm-hmm. tell you that I always get a friend request, and before I accept the friend request, I go and look at the page. And if your book is coming out in two weeks or three weeks, I don't accept the friend request because I know you're requesting me now to just ask me if I will do a review. So right. sure your best chance to get a review from us is to follow us for time and share our content. If you if we review one of your friends' books, share that content on your social media. We see it. Your your agents and editors and people are always telling you put more content on social media. I know that happens for the authors. So you're looking for that. So if I do a review of a friend, share it. All you have to do is click retweet and it goes up there and then you don't have to right. do anything. And it just shows that you're engaged in our what we're doing before you need us. Because again, we don't want to feel like we are just being used for your review. Now we know right. in theory, for many cases, that's what's happening. And that's okay because it's a business and you're trying to promote yourself and that's great, but we don't want to feel that on our side. So if you yeah. would show us respect by following us and then sharing other content, we are more likely to say yes when the time comes for your pitch. So that's the biggest thing I would say. Yeah, it's it's being a human being um, and just thinking about that, you know, when you get a friend request on Facebook, for example, and somebody immediately says, follow my Facebook, follow my, you know, my author page or whatever. I not only don't do that, I, I unfriend the person. Right. And I, I mean, do too. Yeah. Social media, having a blog is so important because it is content. Social media is a conversation, but the algorithms change and everything else changes. So you're, I completely agree. Share things, you know, amplify things, you know, amplify people, other people's good news, make social media about 90% about other people. Don't make it about you. But the, the importance of a blog is that that, you know, you're running that blog site and that content's staying and no algorithm's going to change that. So, you know, people being able to point back to that is so valuable, but you're a human being and you're going to make some decisions based on the interaction you have with somebody. Absolutely. I mean, it's just the way it goes. Absolutely. And I don't take pitches at conferences. Drew does take pitches at conferences. That's not publicized anywhere on either of our sites. So it's just something you learn. But I will tell people when they come up to me at a convention that I don't take pitches, but please, here's my card, email me and I will do. And they will still say, well, I'm an exception. I mean, they always want to be the one that's who's different. And I'm like, that's not the way it's going to work. Like if I told you that, believe it. And if I tell you the book is not for me, generally speaking, you should just accept that and say thank you and move on to the next blogger. There are plenty of bloggers out there. There are not just Drew and I. It sort of seems like Drew and I have risen to the top for whatever reason, but there are many bloggers out there and we try to promote all of them. So find the other ones and help them come. And especially because Drew and I's calendars are so full. If you can find Mm -hmm. an up and coming blogger and get onto their calendar, then you're going to also have a recurring person that you can do and you can help lift that person up to the level where drew and i are so i mean it's just the same as with authors i mean pick a new blogger and and focus on them uh so i say that it's just a matter of knowing what's out there and and covering the gamut and when someone says no this isn't for me or no it doesn't fit in the calendar which happens a lot then you just have to say okay i'm sorry i'll try again with the next 
book and, and, and move on. Don't, I mean, we, there, there's some nasty emails that come back. Like, I can't believe you're not going to be, this is going to be the best book of the year or whatever. And I'm like, okay, first of all, that's not going to happen because I would have already heard about your book if you were going to be the best book of the year. <laughs> Second of all, your attitude is not helping to endear you to us in any right. way, shape or form. Right. And certainly if you're having a conversation with somebody in real life, and even if it's a, sorry, that's not going to work, turning and walking away might not be the best thing to do either. Continuing to have a conversation because you know people and you may say to somebody, you know, I just heard about this interesting book to another blogger, you know, or to somebody right. else and, and make those connections. It's a the human connection is so important and i don't know that we always understand yeah, that and that happens a lot field. i mean we do we, the bloggers do talk behind the scenes not just drew and i but drew and i obviously talk more but drew and i will pass back people all the time i mean drew gets a pitch for a dark thing it's not for her she'll send it over to me and i'll send her the cozy pitches i get if i don't think she already got them yeah um so we do communicate so it is best to be on best behavior but also realize that we since we're bloggers and we're not getting paid for this we really are doing it for the love of it and we're doing it to the best we can. So if I tell you a book is not for me, it's probably not for me. And giving it to me at a convention where I'm just going to then turn around and donate it to someplace. If I said I didn't want it, I didn't want it because you can use that copy somewhere else where it will get better focus. So you're not wasting your money and time focused on me. So, I mean, try to understand that we're we're in the all in it together and we're trying to do what we think is best for that person at that particular time. That's right. That's right. No, it's... Um it's a, it's a huge ongoing conversation. And once you start going to conferences or you, you go to online meetings or of sisters in crime or things, you get to know people as well. And so that's, that's part of the thing is be a human being and get to know people. Exactly. <laughs> um, do you see any publishing trends that have you excited? Yeah, I will say, like we talked about a little earlier, the diversity thing is really happening and it, it, it really makes my heart warm to see that happening i'm seeing the award mm-hmm. nominations coming through and just the recognition um i'm seeing the, now I, I knew we were going to eventually see it i'm now seeing a more steady increase in the pandemic making its way into fiction in interesting ways i didn't really want to read anything about the pandemic and i'm still not often wanting to but i have found that many authors are finding interesting ways into it or just to include it a little mention of it just so we know it happened that may it, it's kind of interesting to see how that's evolving over time and i'm sure that many many years from now we'll see much more of that uh, mm-hmm. this is such a significant moment in our natural history i mean it, it it's unprecedented fact in fact so we're we, we how can you not speak about it but since right. we're in the midst of it people are not quite ready to spend their entertaining <laughs> hours reading about pandemics that are happening but i have read several books that have been very good that have included it so yes yeah it's a tricky thing to include though because if you know Part of your sleuthing is going into large rooms of people talking to people. It's like, hmm, how do we do that now? Right. But if you ignore it also and your book is set in the, 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 the these years, it also is right. glaringly obvious that, this, you, that you're just ignoring it. And that could be an issue, yeah. too. I mean, like you can't yeah. just have a 2021 book and suddenly they're gallivanting all over the world because guess what? You yeah. couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. It's it's it is an interesting decision that authors need to make, um, and we'll see how it goes because this pandemic isn't going away. So uh, no, you know, we're still it's, in the midst it, of it. 
Yes, we are indeed. Um, although we are um, exploring ways of doing things. So you were uh, at the, the fan guest of honor at Left Coast Crime, which was the first time so many in the community had gotten together. Yes. Um, and it was wonderful. That's a wonderful conference anyway. Um, but you did a wonderful panel uh, at that where you had three other people on it with you and went through years and and talked about books that came out in the year and then had this handout that I still have and I'm, I'm divesting myself of paper but I still have that handout um, of you know all these recommendations of books so you know I, how did you come up with that idea because it was a really unique way of um, of using your time because as fan guest of honor usually there's an interview. I appreciate that. I went in, I mean, I don't really like to talk about myself contrary to what we're seeing here <laughs> and what people will say in private. I have no problem having conversations, but in a big group, it just didn't seem like my thing. I just wasn't, didn't want to do it. And even Katrina then asked me to interview her at that same convention, Katrina McPherson. And I did that. And she's like, well, how, did, how different is it to be interviewing than it is to be the interviewee? It's just something different about it. So I didn't want to do the traditional interview, but I was the fan guest of honor and I wanted to honor the fan part of it. So so I gathered together a few fans, Drew as a blogger, and then Judy, um, and then Janet Rudolph was supposed to be there, and Lucinda. So other fans who don't often get to have their voice heard in a big room right. like that. Um, and a valuable voice, I think. So um, I did that. And then in order to narrow it down to what we were going to discuss, I was like, well, let's just pick the decades I'm alive. So because it was my fan guest of honor thing. So we picked the, the, I was born in the 70s and we talked all the way up to the present day. So that's how we picked the time period. And then we limited it to, to the books because obviously we could only talk about so many books in the 45 minutes we were allotted. So that's the way we did it. And then each of us approached it a different way. Janet talked about about the first book in a series in those decades that she loved, a series that she continued to read. I was more eclectic with what I choose. And, and so it, it was very interesting. I think it was very successful. And I know that the audience loved it. And we had many people coming up to us all weekend telling us how much they loved it and how much they valued the handout. Because again, you don't really get many handouts in panels where bunches of books are talked about you can't only write so fast and right. it's nice to have an actual piece of takeaway that that shows you what was discussed so you can actually listen when they're talking yes yes and you know make some because you're exactly right i was like oh my goodness this is going to be a lot you also did a panel there um that that was about television and other, you know, other mediums. Talk about that because I love that yes. too. That sort of got into the pop culture a little right. bit. Right. I had no idea going into being fan guest of honor. Obviously, I never expected to be fan guest of honor. And then when I was awarded it, I was like, oh, that's really great. I'm very excited. And then Lucinda quickly wrote to me after that and was like, okay, well, you have to have a panel about yourself and then you, we allow you to create a panel of your own. And that's really good. And then you have to be at all these other events. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> have to do suddenly now <laughs> I'm the fan guest of honor. Like now I know how the guest of honor feels being touted from one place to another. So um they asked me to create a panel and I wanted again to do something different. I mean, we've all been to these conferences and the panels are the same over and over again. Yes, you get yeah. different takes on it when different people are on the panel, but generally speaking, no one's having earth shattering conversations in these panels. I mean, you're learning about the authors themselves, and that's why I say 
to authors, don't ever base your whole attendance of a conference on your panel because you can sell more books in the hallway uh, in a conversation yep. with strangers than you ever will from a panel podium. Right. So I say that. So going into that, I said I had to do something different. And I do watch a lot of crime television. And I knew that there were some crime writers who we have had conversations. And I knew that they were watching a lot of crime fiction, too. So I said, what about if we just talked about streaming shows that we were loving and just had a conversation? So we went in. I mean, there were no questions for that panel because, again, the standard question, answer, question, answer down the line or question. And then everybody answers. Those formats are old and stale. And, and if you were at a conversation, conference and you've on this, my, that panel happened to be at the end of the weekend i'm like you've been through all those panels so i just wanted it to be a conversation so we went into it knowing we had no script we were just going to sit up there and talk about shows that we had seen and that that would pull up other things and it again was very successful many people came up to us and said i hope they do this more often because we do do more than just read i mean crime fiction is a wider gamut and we can cover a whole lot of stuff at a panel i mean an author can sell their books and and in fact several authors on that panel came up to me and said that they sold books even though not once did they even mention their book Right. on that panel because they were interesting people and people were like, Oh, that's, they, they have an interesting take. They like the same sort of thing. I should try their book. So people will go there. So you don't really need to talk about your own work to be selling your work always. Right. The nice thing about that panel too, is again, I think that for streaming crime fiction, we're in a golden age. I mean, there's so many platforms and just so many terrific short series to watch um which are are just wonderful they really I mean, are it's, it's, and we could have done yeah. that for hours i mean we when we were over we were still like we could still talk about this we did come away with it with the caveat that next time we need to make sure we make notes of where these shows are airing because people were asking us where they're streaming and i'm like suddenly i'm like i thought i knew where it was but maybe it's on hbo or maybe it's on netflix yeah. i don't really know so yeah um Keeping track of that to help the audience would be a better beneficial thing, but you learn. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> you do learn for sure. Um, well, I love, I could talk to you about all this for, for hours, but, um, you know, thank you for your time and for your, your energy and, and, you know, for your reading. How many books a week do you read? Um, I read, um, three to four, I would say. At this point in my career, I, if I'm reading a book and I'm not liking it, I set it aside. If I know 50 pages yeah. in that it's probably not going to get a review, I don't finish it. Um, I just can't because there's so much. So really, I probably finish three books a week, maybe, maybe four. And then I have several other that I dabbled into that didn't make it for whatever reason, um, my mood or whatever. And sometimes I come back to mm-hmm. those and they do end up getting reviewed later. I mean, I think so much of reading is the mood you're in at the time. So it, not every book is going to hit at the right point. Um, so that's sort of how I do it. So at 50 pages, I say, am I going to review this? And if I think I might at 50 pages, I'll continue. And then if I continue to 100, I do the same thing at 100 pages and say, is this going to get reviewed? And I say, it could still get reviewed. Then I always finish it. So anything I read to page 100, I finish. But if I stop yeah. before 100, then it can go in the pile of unfinished. I think that's a life lesson for all of us, you know, whether you're reviewing or not. If it's not get, you may love it another time you read it, but if it's not, there's too much. So if you're not loving it, don't force yourself to Life finish is too it short to read books that don't work for you. 
That's right. There, there, that's a motto right there. <laughs> well, and I'm grateful that you helped me figure out some add to my to be read pile by reading your um, blog. So uh, thank you for the work you do and for all you do for the community and for being a member of Sisters in Crime. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a great conversation. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.